Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. In the age of online retail, buying a car should be no different. That's why Carvana invented a brand new way to buy a car that's 100% online. Without leaving the comfort of your couch, you can browse and buy from their selection of almost 20,000 cars. And once you've made a purchase, your car comes to you, delivered right to your door. Or you can pick it up from one of their coin-operated car vending machines. All of Carvana's cars come with a seven-day return policy ensuring you get a car that fits perfectly with your life. Not happy? Exchange it or return it for a full refund. And with its dedication to customer service, it's why hundreds of thousands of customers have ditched the dealership and given Carvana 4.7 stars in customer satisfaction. So check out the nation's fastest-growing auto retailer at Carvana.com. There's an underdog story happening today in America. Small businesses are fighting to make a comeback, but in the moment they have the least, they're giving the most. They're rallying communities and neighborhoods, yet asking for little in return. Well, it's time we gave back. Small Unites is making it simple for everyone to take action and support the small businesses that unite us all. Find out how you can donate, shop, and share today at smallunites.org. It is Monday, and that means Movie Talk is breaking down the weekend box office. We're also talking Irishman, because it's going to screen on Broadway. And then another reboot in the works over at Disney, this one for Inspector Gadget. Happy Monday, everyone. Hope you had a wonderful weekend. We've got a great show planned for you today. This time around, we've got John Roca and Drew Taylor on the show. But before we get to the two of them, it's call sheet time. First thing on the lineup today, of course, is box office. Joker posted an estimated $93.5 million this weekend, and that makes it the largest October domestic opening ever, which, of course, beats Venom, which made $80.25 million last year when it opened up. Well, behind Joker at number two, we had Abominable, which made another $12 million. And then Downton Abbey took that three spot with another $8 million of its own. Moving on over to this Irishman story. As we covered back in August, Netflix wasn't able to convince major theater chains to screen the movie. Now, apparently, Netflix has booked Broadway's Belasco Theater for its November 1st opening of the film. And it's going to screen there for an entire month. More on that later in the show. Next up here, Disney is making a brand new live action Inspector Gadget movie based on the popular animated series. Of course, the studio taps Saturday Night Live writers Mikey Day and Streeter Seidel to pen the script. There is no word at this point on whether Disney is planning to release this movie in theaters or on Disney+. Plus. Now, if you're looking for some of the best of the best from New York Comic Con 2018, Collider.com has it all for you to check out after you finish Movie Talk today. We've got the first trailer for Star Trek Discovery Season 3, a new trailer for Star Trek Picard. There's an animated prologue up and running right now for the Snowpiercer series. Go check it all out when we wrap up here. Now, as we discussed last week, Martin Scorsese recently weighed in with his thoughts and feelings about the Marvel Cinematic Universe and over the weekend, both Samuel L. Jackson and James Gunn shared their thoughts on his quotes. Here's what Sam Jackson told Variety. I mean, that's like saying Bugs Bunny ain't funny. Films are films. Everybody doesn't like his stuff either. Everyone's got an opinion, so I mean, it's okay. Ain't going to stop nobody from making movies. And now on to Gunn's 
quote, Martin Scorsese is one of my five favorite living filmmakers. I was outraged when people picketed The Last Temptation of Christ without having seen the film. I'm saddened that he's now judging my films in the same way. And I'm not saying religious zealotry is the same as not liking my movies or in the same category. What I'm saying is I'm not fond of people judging things without actually seeing them, whether it's a movie about Jesus or a genre. All right, guys, that is it for our call sheet. And we're moving into the next portion of our show, which is something I'm very excited about. It's a brand new episode of Ladies Night, a brief clip from our episode with Gemini star, Gemini man star, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Let's roll it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back for a brand new episode of Collider Ladies Night. I am very happy right now because I am sitting across from, wait for it, for the star of Final Destination 3. <laughs> Get out! Get out! What? what? Behind us! There's no one in the truck! Watching you. Everybody out there knows that I am obsessed with that franchise, really? so I had to mention it at some Whoa. point. But no, we have one of the stars of Gemini Man here, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Thank you so much for visiting us Thank today. Thank you for having me. What are the technical challenges for you of working with two Will Smiths in Gemini Man? Well, there were there were a few interesting aspects to it. I mean, one, just, you know, I'm sure you've talked to people who've done motion capture work. And so that was my first time doing that. So it was interesting Every time I was in a scene with both versions of Will Smith in the film, um, we would shoot the scene with Will and his double. It would be with Will and Will. <laughs> it would be with Will and nothing. You know, it would be like, it was just all these different versions. And then at the end of the movie, at the end of the schedule, we went into this motion capture studio and we redid all of those scenes. So, so it was like... It was just a lot of, of work on the same scene in, in various, various ways. Did you always know you wanted to grow up and be an actor or a performer? Or was there ever a point in your life when you said, like, I don't know, I want to grow up and be a doctor or a lawyer or something like that? I got lucky that I, I, I think it took me like a year. It was like 18 to 19. I didn't work at all. And that was like, I was like, do I go to college? Do I just give up? What do I do? And then when I was 19, I got this movie Sky High, which was like this Disney I do remember kids that. movie. And that was like, okay, you did it. And then after that, I never, I never really went very long without working. So I just I got very lucky. And a very special thank you goes to our guests of honor and the recipients of our first ever Hero of the Year Award, the Commander and Jetstream. If you got the opportunity to revisit any of your past roles in a sequel, prequel, you name it, what would it be and why? You know, maybe it would be Ramona Flowers. I think it would be interesting to see like where she is ten years later. I like, would be totally open to as that as a character. Like I, I, I just think that would be an interesting exploration. Uh, Scott Pilgrim. So, do you want to go out sometime? Um, no, that's okay. You just need to sign for this. So we are, of course, sitting on the set of Collider Ladies Night, so I do have to ask about Birds of Prey. I know the rules, no specifics, but I yes. do really want to know what it's like working on the set of a film where you were working entirely with a female ensemble with a director like Kathy at the helm. Can you feel the difference on a set like that? It was so much fun, and yeah, you totally can. I mean, it was just so easy. There was no ego in any of it. I mean, not to say that ego is a male-only trait. It's 
certainly not. But in this case, it was just so easy. Everybody just wanted to be there, wanted to be with each other, wanted to be playing these roles. And it was exciting. It was exciting. Like everything about it was so cool, like the costumes and, and Kathy, like really being at the helm of it and really making these decisions like that she thought were cool as opposed to going, well, we got to appeal mm-hmm. to this person. We got to appeal to that person. We got it. It was really like she had the reins and like Margo was super involved in a collaborative way, but it was all just like, what do we think is cool? Like not how we, not, not like, but are guys going to think this is sexy or is that, you know, we didn't have any of those questions. Mm -hmm. It was just like, what do we think is cool? Gemini men hits theaters, October 11th. Check it out. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for watching this edition of Collider ladies night. Do not leave without like and sharing this interview. And guess what? We're going to see you soon. More episodes. If you want to watch the full episode of Ladies Night with Mary Elizabeth Winstead, it is up and running right now on the Collider Interviews YouTube channel, and it's also on Collider.com. And yeah, you want to watch it after you're done with Movie Talk. Go watch it. Right now, (laughs) I have to introduce my panelists. I'm so excited to have Roca and Drew on the show today. Hi, hi. Hi. I'd say how was your weekend, but I I actually know how both of your weekends were. Wow. Where were you? How do you know about my weekend? I think you you had a a not-so-hot Sunday. Sorry, I don't don't, don't mean to to gloat. This is like a one... You have to admit, this is like a one-and-only type thing. I have to enjoy it while it lasts. It's called movie talk. (laughs) Sports time's at 1 p.m. We talk about it then. Well, don't forget to bring up that I got 200-plus points in fantasy football this week. Listen, Perry, she's a whole other person. I did my homework. I had no idea. Started. I've never seen this side of her. Yeah. And then I came in today and you're talking junk about, uh, you know, the fantasy football. League. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Cer- certain people are on my SHIT list right now and I'm right. not happy that about it. Trade, yeah. How was your weekend, Drew? It was great. I still yeah. see you. I know. Adorable. We were all dressed yeah. up and all yeah. looking pretty. Yeah. It was wonderful. Well, we, were, we, were we were at a, at a wedding. wedding. Oh, yeah. congratulations. Yeah. We got married. <laughs> not us. Oh, okay. not I us. didn't know. I, you know. I got married earlier. Well, another congratulations to you. All right. Wedding talk and fantasy football talk. It's over right now. Let's get into the box office. We recapped the top three spots earlier, but let's dig into, I guess, those two, but also more of the lineup here. Roca of everything yeah. in the uh, the top ten, I guess, what stands out to Do you? Do we start with Joker? Can we start with no. Joker? Downton Abbey. Joker. Downton Abbey. I am so happy it's still holding on. As a massive fan of the series and slavishly devoted to these characters and to these actors in this series, it's so great that they dropped this thing at the right time and it hasn't fallen by the wayside. It's consistent been in the top five since it's been released and I'm super happy about that and I just I hope this means we might be going back uh, yeah. uh, to Downton Abbey for another movie down the road Lady Mary now uh, seeing what she will do all this kind of stuff that happened with it so I'm very excited I'm surprised too I didn't know that the film going public would be going back to this over and over yeah. and over again that to me is a very nice warm surprise especially with all this talk about superhero movies and blockbuster movies smashing the smaller movies here's a film that just keeps chugging along because there's a strong enough fan base for it and I like that I wonder how small it actually is but it's it's like an utter delight it's, yeah. it's that kind of thing where it mm-hmm. makes you feel so good walking out of it that you yeah. want to go re-experience it and I would say the same about Abominable actually yeah I was I I always love talking about animation so you know this year has not been great for animation <laughs> uh, particularly original animation uh, so to see Abominable hanging in there is great I mean it's a very cute movie I love that it's a co-production between Pearl and DreamWorks Animation hopefully that relationship kind of you know 
continues, and yeah, it stuck it out. It's number two, so I mean, it was down forty three percent, which isn't great, but is mm. is okay by animated standards. So, I thought yeah. it was going to hold on a little oh, strong. Yeah. I actually thought both were going to hold on mm. just a tiny bit stronger because they're good counter programming, and Joker was the only new release. Yeah. But Joker just you know ate up so much of the box office that I feel like there was no getting out of its wake kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, and it has a pretty clear run until Frozen two in November. Mm-hmm. So hopefully uh, it'll. You don't you don't think uh, Adam's family is going to pose a problem this weekend? No. <laughs> oh, no. I'll, I'll agree with Drool. Yeah. None of those trailers have been exciting. No. So. Yeah. I don't know. And I also don't know what the kind of like uh, inherent value to Adam's family mm. is in 2019. You know, like when the ori- when they came out in the 90s, the original show was still being rerun on daytime television, and there was still a little bit more awareness. I'm not sure kind of what the like brand awareness is for Adam's family. Also, the premise of Adam's family is to be. Um, different than the mainstream and goth and darker yeah but that's the mainstream now so like you can't really be if if the um unusual is now the mainstream you're not really against the the grain anymore right. and so it's it'd be weird to see what how the public responds it'll be interesting to see how the public responds but it feels weird to say that did you see it I, 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 I given that i can't speak to any of the themes in the movie i will say that um i think halloween time is going to help it out oh, i just possibly, think you yeah. know the fact that all of that is in the air right now right. is going to you know maybe just entice some parents to automatically especially if parents are tied to the original material too and have a spot in their heart for that they might encourage kids to go see it so i do think we're going to see another dent in abominable even though I am really rooting for Abominable to stick around. But Adam's Family is also opening a week before Maleficent, which is, ah. which is awesome. I really loved Maleficent, too. Really? No. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I, yeah. So I think I'm that, keeping my mind open yeah, to that one. Yeah, it's a great one. sort of like scary Disney movie for Ooh, kids. Yeah. It'll be, it's it's okay. really fun. So, I wasn't yeah. a fan of the first one, but no, I'm, all, I'm always all for okay. a second one coming out and, yeah. and changing my opinion, kind of like okay. what the Annabelle franchise right. did. <laughs> All right. Before we move on to Joker, I was a little, uh, I was a little, uh, I guess not surprised, but Lucy in the Sky, the one with Natalie Portman, it didn't have the greatest opening. It opened in 37 theaters and only made $55,000. That's, that's really low. But Judy, (laughs) Judy did pretty well too. Judy expanded from 461 screens to almost 1500 and it made almost $4.5 million. So when I look at something like that, I say, okay, that's a good step towards an Oscar nomination. Mm -hmm. And at this point, I feel like I'm rooting for Renee Zellweger, maybe more so than anybody in really? that category. She's really I, good I in that it. movie. No, I'm watching. No, I'm watching yeah. it this week uh, at some point. But uh, what's incredible is remember people are like where's where has she been? Where has she been? There was that fiasco. There was this this controversy about her when she's on the red carpet a few, uh, I think last year. But look at her bounce back with this and like really just kind of own it and remind you that this is a powerhouse actress and that if roles are created for older actresses of of talent and note, they can really kill it. And, you know, we see this with Jennifer Lopez at her age with Hustlers did a great job. Now you guys, we're coming in with Judy. So to me, this is, is exciting that the landscape is changing once again. And being a massive fan of Judy Garland, I can't wait to see what she does with it. Because just from the trailers alone, you can tell this is like a tour de force for her. In no good transition whatsoever. Let's move from Judy to Joker. <laughs> um, that was pretty good. I mean, it was alliterative. I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, but obviously, we do have to talk about uh, Joker breaking box office records in more than one way. So you guys see the opening weekend number for this. Does it surprise you at all? Yes. Um, 
I never know which way you're going to go. No, yes, well, it's too high or yes, it's too well, low. We joked about it in the office. Right? Like I was like, 150 million. For sure. We're just having fun with Jay and all this kind of stuff. But 247 million. That, I like how that's how you phrase it in hindsight. Well, no, I'm saying we were joking around about it. But that's that was surprising to me. That it made well because I could technically still be right. It made 150 million overseas, but like you just see how much it <laughs> You're made. You're such a cheater. It's incredible. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm just happy overall that it did this. But it shocked me that it did this well overseas, right? I mean, you don't know what the brand or the pull is of a villain like Joker overseas. It's a very American story, American villain, very much tied to the Batman thing. To have it separated from Batman and have its own origin story, I was surprised that it had this kind of pull overseas so that's what surprises me more than the 93 million is mm-hmm. the pull it had overseas and overall they've more than made their money back mm-hmm. in one weekend so whatever your issues may be about the movie or warner brothers making the decision business-wise you can't argue with this decision and it's it, it has worked out well mm-hmm. so much so that now people are starting to clamor for the possibility of a joaquin phoenix joker going up against a robert pattinson batman in the future and what that would be like. And I didn't think we were going to have that conversation at all after this movie. Hmm. Now it's starting to trickle into the social media. And I I'm like not it. entirely sold on that just yeah, yet. That's fair. Uh, what do you I think understand. of Weekend One for Joker, Drew? Yeah, I mean, it was, well, I mean, it was the movie that, all, that people were talking about for however many weeks. It doesn't really surprise me that, I mean, that people went and saw it maybe that much, uh, you know, to that degree. But it was interesting to read that report and how much of it was coming just from like, the big cities. Mm. Like, Middle America yeah. didn't really care yeah. about the Joker, Fair which was point. kind of interesting. Um, and it was also interesting that it's not going to be released in China. So it's this might cap out quicker uh, in terms of the international box office. But yeah, I mean, it's a huge smash. It's unbelievable mm. that yeah, it did, did that money. Did uh, Venom play in China? I believe so. I do I mean, want to look that up because like I'm assuming that's going to be the next thing. Like, is Joker yeah. going to wind up hitting Venom's grand total? So I, I, I mean, it eclipsed it in its first weekend. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah, so it should. It, I mean, it's a much better movie. Eclipsed it by a good deal. Yeah. But mm-hmm. now, obviously, the thing is you can have a huge opening weekend, but it only means so much if you don't hold on. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. looking ahead, weekend two and beyond, do you think that this movie has staying power? Because – I certainly do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, the conversation is still going. People are still raging on Twitter. It's a divisive film. Not just amongst the fans. Certainly amongst the critics, it's yeah. been divisive as well. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of snark. Oh, sorry. There's a lot of snark <laughs> coming from certain critics. Who Keep are me using- on the <laughs> I know, I know. I'm just so sorry. There's a lot of snark coming from critics that I've seen online. That I, You know, some movies are a touchstone film. This certainly is one. You know, people who love it, love it. People who don't like it are going out of their way to tell you how much they don't like it. And so that means it's having an effect, right? And I can't remember who tweeted about it, but said that's good art. It's good art if it sparks conversation. I think that conversation is going to keep going. And I also think because it's a film that you want to go back, if you like it, to see again. To see if you really liked it as much as you did or to figure it out or to come. Because a lot of people walk out of it going, I don't know what I saw. It was brutal. It unsettled me. I don't know how I feel about it. I know I enjoyed it, but I don't know what I feel about it. It, I got to go back, mm-hmm. and that's where it comes. That's where I think it's going to maintain its hold. And also, there's not really much coming out in the next couple of weeks that I think is going to threaten it. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right on the money with that. Mm-hmm. And just for the record, uh, Venom did come out in China, and it made almost 270 million dollars wow, okay, there, so which is a, a big, big yeah. chunk of money. Yeah. Uh, Drew, what's the forecast for you with Joker? Yeah, I mean, do we have like the cinema score? Uh, we do have the from, yeah, it's like I can't believe that's not one of the first things I checked this morning. Yeah. I was so curious. It's, like it's got to be plus. Yeah, B+. Oh, okay, that's so, a, that's so a, good, like a yeah. good good sign. You know, I just did a thing on Collider about the F Cinema Score. We covered it. Yeah, yeah, we, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. we talked about it. Yeah. So I mean, 
you know, people like it more than I maybe thought they would. And I was true, you know, (laughs) (laughs) so it's like, uh, you know, it's not something where they walk out and give it a a D or an F and, you know, it could have gone that way. I mean, it's a very unpleasant movie sort of Mm -hmm. tonally, but, um, the other thing that Todd Phillips said when we I saw the movie like back in August and he had this little Q&A afterwards and said, you know, you got to go back and rewatch it cuz then you'll see what's mm-hmm. sort of fantasy and what's reality a little right. bit better. And so that to me is very interesting too that a movie that's that grim still sort of like prompts you to watch it again. Yeah, know? that's part so, of the reason why yeah. I need to get back to the theater ASAP right. and watch it again. Mm-hmm. The other thing we need to take into account here is what this massive success could mean for the future of the industry, how studios treat superhero movies, comic book adaptations. And the reason that this crossed my mind is because obviously this morning I was reading every single thing I could possibly find on Joker Box Office because it fascinates me. And I found this one particular quote from a Hollywood Reporter article. I think Joker's debut is another wake-up call, one that is coming in on Batman's red phone, telling everyone in the industry that R-rated superhero films are here to say, says Jeff Bach of Exhibitor Relations. Uh, Then he goes on to say, hopefully Disney will take that call soon. If they don't, DC will be happy to staff the call center with its people. I mean, do you think that folks at Disney and other studios with superhero properties, for that matter, are looking at this and saying right now, ooh, like, we got to replicate this? I, I think it's a case-by-case basis. General overall statements about superheroes' movies or superheroes in general never work because it's all different. Joker works because Joker can lend itself to an R-rated film. Deadpool works because it can lend itself to an R-rated film. Blade could be R-rated. Could be if they wanted to. The bones are there. But it's going to be case by case. I think Disney does not have to go R-rated at all. They've been just fine with the Marvel stuff. PG, PG PG-13, making billions and billions of dollars. DC can go a little darker with Joker, with Batman. But they're not going to do an R-rated Superman film. They're not going to do an already Green Lantern film or a Green Arrow film. Those aren't they, the, the storylines and the origins don't go that direction. So I think it's good that the that there is a public that wants an R-rated superhero film. If the subject matter goes that route and you find the right directors for it and you create a good film, absolutely, people will go to it, right? But it doesn't mean that you should start making them in mass and people will automatically flock to it. And that's, that's the thing, I think, at the end of the day. Yeah, I kind of hope Disney doesn't even bother touching it. One, because of what mm. you said, they, they don't need to. They've carved yeah. out a very yeah. strong place in the industry for themselves. You know, keep doing what you're doing well. And I just like the idea of another studio cornering the market on another type of film that we're not getting through another studio. It's like, as much as I am a fan of Disney films, I don't want to see them do everything. You do what you you do at the mouse very well, and then I'm happy to see DC have a more creative arm to its uh, to its studio right now, and I'm rooting for Warner Brothers to find something that really takes off. I think they're reinvigorating the DC films really well right now. I want to see them continue to do that on the Aquaman, Shazam, Birds of Prey side, and then also something that is hopefully not attached to anything else. Yeah. I love the creative possibilities we're getting right here. No matter what you think of Joker. 
the fact that the the creative doors are blown wide open for whatever they put under this banner going forward that is like hugely exciting and i hope nobody tries to kind of step on their toes in a way yeah, i mean when was the last time disney even made a movie that was only 60 million dollars i mean it, this movie is so antithetical to the disney model in a number of ways so they would have to really reconfigure a lot of things. And I feel like we heard the same quote when Deadpool made so much money. And it's mm. like, what came out after Deadpool? Well, Deadpool 2 and Logan. And now yeah. we have, you know, Joker. So it will be interesting to see if that shifts anymore. But I don't, yeah, I don't think Disney's going to take If anything, I think it's going to be Warner Brothers greenlighting another uh, villain origin story. Yeah. I mean, more yeah. so than anything. There are some quotes floating around today about Joaquin Phoenix lightly entertaining the idea of doing another Joker movie. I'm telling you. I, you know, I'm I don't, telling you. You're telling me the it's The Pattinson thing is in play. I'm no, telling no. You. See, that, that's, I'm telling you. that's the exact opposite. Yeah. I think that Joaquin Phoenix and Todd Phillips are in their own little bubble, and they're enjoying being in that bubble and working together so closely, not being tied down to anything else, that I think the only way we are going to get another Joker movie, another Joaquin mm. Phoenix Joker movie, is if it's a direct sequel to what they just did, and it's not attached to anything yeah, else. Without any spoilers... I don't see how that's possible. I don't see how that's possible unless you're creating an alternate universe where the alternate things oh, I, exist. And if you're doing that, then you run the risk of two separate entities existing at the same time. And if they're willing to pull that off, more power to them. But I, I think you can't ignore no, the I, elephant I, I, in the room that is in the movie. Well, I took I took the movie as being the guy that inspired the Joker that will eventually go up against Batman. Mm-hmm. That he saw this maybe oh, unfolding as a child. He saw the riots and this and that. And that's what led him to kind of like inherit that mantle when he sort of ascended in his sort of crime empire. That's you, how I took it. So you, I think it could be somebody else. Caref- careful with the spoilers. Yeah, well, right, that's what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. But I'm saying down the road, I like the idea of an older Joker going up against a younger Batman. That, I like, that's cool. I like the dichotomy of that because... That's going to be because you've got to see Batman stumble and figure things out, especially going to younger Batman, a detective Batman. Who's going to get the better of him but a older person who understands how to play this game better than he does and can challenge him? And that is thrilling to watch if you're going to do another Batman versus Joker film because I don't think you can keep going with the Joker without having Batman come into it. You just can't. Like yes. Venom, people are already yes, pushing back on Venom yeah. 2 without Spider-Man. So I, I don't know. I mean that, that idea that you propose does intrigue me, yeah. but – even that if was it's just your the, fanfic, I'm looking yeah. forward to it. You know what I mean? yeah, that was the mo- one of the most interesting things about this is that we just got a story completely from the villain perspective yeah. that had no big hero to lean on. And I think it ends in a way that I want the next chapter of his story, not how mm. Batman could potentially influence his story. I want to see what he does next because he's in a very, very interesting situation at the end yeah. of the movie. But let me ask you this, do you think the idea of him being a villain in the league, like how tenable is that? Like how many movies hey, can you keep that you, going where you don't eventually turn him to be the protagonist? Yeah, I mean, I thought it's sort of like Legion or the something. It's where, a, it's where a he's, very fair you know, point. You know, mm-hmm. he's institutionalized or whatever, right. or he gets out. And I mean, I, I that was the excited, sort of template I could see it going in down the yeah, road. Yeah. Of, Maybe. And then, you know, I don't know. But yeah, I think there is more room to to play. I think there is. I mean, you're you're talking to someone who who was very sensitive with this movie. Mm-hmm. I, I walked out thinking it was a, a well done film, but very mixed for for uh, for the uncomfortable reasons, the yeah. things that it yeah. left me with at the end of it. But 
from a storytelling perspective, it doesn't stop me from wanting the next chapter sure. because I think the character development that could happen in that next chapter is so is so interesting and potentially deep that I can't help but to want more. Maybe it's morbid curiosity. I don't know. But yeah. I, I walked out of the movie extremely upset and wanting to, like, wash it all off, but also <laughs> wanting to know what happens next. Yeah. yeah. So the movie did its job. It this probably did. The movie did its job. <laughs> All right. Before <laughs> this turns into a big Joker box office show, let's go into our next. Oh, this is an interesting one. So now we're going to talk about The Irishman and The Irishman getting ticking the, the screening box in a very, very unique way. Yeah. It's actually going to screen on Broadway for a month. And. I was very surprised to see this this morning. It's I the only theater they've confirmed for it. Yeah, I I don't know why this felt so out of left field to me, though. I mean, there's there's so many theaters in New York, especially when we don't have any more like the Ziegfeld and the Paris. There's so many locations where I guess Netflix could just come on in with a big checkbook and make a, you know, bring in the right projector and lighting and sound and all that stuff to give someone the optimal experience viewing this movie. So you read this this morning. Does it surprise you? Does it concern you? It doesn't surprise me. I mean, I... I worried about anyone over sort of five foot six sitting in those seats for three and a half hours because, you know, Broadway seats are not the most comfortable. Uh, But yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. I mean, Netflix sort of has a throw throw everything on the wall and see what sticks approach. So maybe this will become sort of a a linchpin of their Oscar campaigns going (laughs) forward. But yeah, I mean, at least it gives people a really easy way. I mean, that theater must have like what? 1500 seats or something i think so. it's a little less than that i had the uh 1016 yeah so i mean a lot of people can get in there it's easy it's centralized you know i i would love to see it there i'd be kind of curious yeah. i kind of like how this uh this makes it an event yeah again yeah. too i think that's the part of it that intrigues me more so than anything i'm just i'm just worried about the long-term term implications as far as like just the theater like chains go i just feel like this is another step in a more negative direction where it could i just wish everyone could work their, their stuff they, out and figure yeah. out a way Perry. to make the the window thing where it's just we're already in a position where i think we're on the cusp of the big theater chains only playing the big mm. stuff and this feels like another thing pushing us but in that direction that. Today. i mean amc's not Exa- exactly it's you like you we're, we're stuck in, in the middle of two things yeah. that can't be resolved. So, I mean, I don't blame Netflix for making this move because I think they have a major, major Oscar contender. This is the first movie I walked out of this year that I'm like, this is going to get the most nominations. Really? And wow. they got to do this. Yeah. Well, life is conflict, Perry, sometimes. And so when these <laughs> in transition times, mom and dad fight oh, sometimes. Thanks, Grandpa <laughs> Roca. <laughs> I'm just saying, this is why we Perry and I, the yin and the yang of the universe. Like, I, I know you want everything to get along and I expect the battles in the fights to happen and i think this is part of the this growing transition place that's happening because it's moving so fast but netflix i think net i think this is a smart decision they've been negotiating with the egyptian here in la which is another theater that is known for showing classic films older films doing
doing mini film festivals, honoring directors or actors. They do a lot of that. So already the name brand is the recognition. The Belasco, when you look at the history, but look, I went to the Belasco in 1995, I think it was, to see Ray Fiennes do Hamlet. That was an awesome experience, and I loved the theater. And the theater, I think, is tied to Dorothy Parker in that vicious circle, but it started showing movies back in the early 1900s, and Birth of a Nation was screened there. So for us, in which, whatever you feel about that movie, it's still considered one of these seminal uh, uh, films in film history. Scorsese, being a student of film, must love the fact mm. that he's bringing this film to the Belasco to screen in that three and a half hours in that theater. Yeah, the seats are, it's raked, right. but they're still uncomfortable. It's a very fair point you make, Drew, <laughs> especially for three and a half hours of no intermission. But uh, I think that Netflix is doing this on purpose. They want to be seen as an elite type of studio going after these awards. You grab the Egyptian, you grab the Belasco. It's, it gives a brand. It's a brand move that makes sense to me if you want to elevate how people see you as more than just a streaming service. They see you as a, a, a contender mm-hmm. consistently that, that wants to be seen consistently for awards. And I think that's where it does its best But work. that report said that they, they wouldn't even use the Egyptian for their four wall. No. Right? It would be for which premieres. Would, yeah, which right. is interesting. So you right. wouldn't even have it there for an extended period of time. Exactly. I think it's very weird that they put these movies out. Like the laundromat was at the landmark. And mm. it was like, who even knew it was there? And the, But then you have to wait three weeks. It's like, if the theaters aren't going to play ball, just put it on the next week. That's what yeah. I don't understand. You know, they still have that kind of like grace period for people, but it's like just throw it up if it's I, not going to be. I would seen. love to be a fly on the wall in their distribution strategy meetings. I'm I'm so curious. I I do think that the whole you know throw a million things at the wall strategy and see see what sticks is the way for them to go because look at how that whole operation started to begin with. Yeah, they found something so highly unique and different that it propelled them to the company that they are today. And I think they're just they're basically in a position where they have to pivot and they have to find that next big thing and that's the only way to kind of outrun the big studios in yeah. some respect they're gut i really do think they're gonna find it eventually i don't necessarily think it's screening your movies on broadway but there is going to be some extra you know additive to the netflix model in the near future that i think is going to cement them in the industry for the long I think run what's weird is that that six underground isn't screening theatrically at all mm. And when that, does that even come out? It comes out in December. Right. But it's like, don't you want to see a Michael Bay blow up movie like on the biggest screen possible? I you certainly know? do. It's what did like, they, what did they wind up doing with Bright? Did Bright play on on the I don't think Bright played. I don't think it did. Uh, I think Bright dropped. Because I feel like and it's going to be didn't either, right? No, because yeah. yeah. that's sort of like did. it's sort of filling that void that mm-hmm. you know everybody goes home and watches it and you know. It. Bird Box was the perfect thing for that kind of model. Right. But yeah. Six Underground is a different story. You know, like, you want to see that big. I don't know. Dolomite came out in a couple of theaters this weekend. Yes. So it was yeah, at the, the Draft House. Yeah, the Draft yeah. House. Certain yeah. distinct ones. So that tells you that they have some kind of feeling about this movie having a little more I mean, maybe than just that, a streaming Maybe that approach. is the thing. Finding uh, yeah. theater chains like the Draft House and, and uh, setting up long-term deals with them because by having these you know, priority streaming titles mm. screening in their theaters, it could wind up helping them while helping Netflix and you know, I guess I guess that just furthers what I was worrying about before, and just let the big movies play in the big theaters. I don't know. I just want to I want to see like the itty bitty theater chains not go under, like the Ziegfeld and the Paris, which I used to love, yeah. love, love going to. But I also don't want a world where AMC theaters are only playing Disney movies. Yeah, yeah. and I'm surprised the ArcLight is on the other side of this. Oh yeah, they hate I, Netflix. Yeah, I, that's a shocking thing to me, and I. I just don't I don't understand that because I think Netflix is creating some in, 
incredible movies and they are moving towards this more higher end kind of fare as they pursue awards and recognition, the Arclight has to come play ball at some point. Because if Apple TV drops a movie in Arclight before Netflix does, then I wonder what yeah, that logic weird. will be. Yeah. I don't know. Because Apple is going after larger game. And if they're going to make a separate deal with Arclight, then then what were the principles they were really standing on? I was writing off Apple for so, so long. And now all of a sudden my mentality is Mm. like they are going to go big in some respect and just obliterate everything. I, I just feel like they're they're going to make a very very big play soon. I agree. Really? Okay. Yeah. They have I don't so know. much money. Yeah. yeah. I'm start I'm starting to have some faith there. You know what else I have faith in? The Collider Video YouTube channel and all the wonderful content we've got coming your way. You're going to like this one, John Roca. Like Sports Time. Hey-o. Check out this promo. Hey, everyone. John Roca here, the host of Collider Sports Time. Well, you know, if you've been watching us every week, you know we break down the latest and the greatest in the world of sports, talk about the big issues, the big games, all of it with a rotating band of guests like Matt Nose and Josh McCuga. We've had Taylor Bashadi on. We've had so many great guests. Now, if you want to see more of Sports Time or you want to try it out for the first time, remember to subscribe to Collider Sports YouTube channel for all the sports goodness. Hey, guys. Riley here, and let me tell you about Rule of Two. You looking for a Star Wars fix? Well, Rule Rule of Two is that show. It drops on Collider Video's main YouTube channel, as well as on Podcast One's Jedi Council feed. So go over there, subscribe, share it with your friends. It's hosted by myself and Mark Fernandez. We talk everything in the Star Wars universe with a lot of deep dives and a lot of conversations that go all in. You know what to do. Subscribe, join us there, and rise. Moving on to our final topic of the day, it's Inspector Gadget. So I learned something really interesting this morning. I asked the two of them if you have strong feelings on Inspector Gadget, and Roka's head almost exploded. <laughs> Can you tell us why you love Inspector Gadget so much? I love Gadget. Uh, I grew up <laughs> watching Gadget and Claw. I mean, Don Adams, I grew up watching Get Smart. So when he voiced uh, 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 Inspector Gadget, which is essentially Get Smart, in a different format... I loved it, and Penny was great, and the dog Einstein. Like, all of it was fun to watch when you're growing up as a kid. Um, and so I even went to see the Matthew Broderick one in the theaters mm-hmm. with uh, Jolie Fisher, I think. That's the Schmodown brain. And I, I really enjoyed all of that. And so, and I even tried to watch the animated series. It was on Netflix recently. I just like the character. It's a sweet character. It's a fun character. Yeah, it's a bumbling character, but it's also got a good heart. And it's always been one of these kind of clean animated shows that is fun to kind of lose yourself into. And regardless of what Jeff Snyder said, there's a lot of uh, Inspector Gadget content out there that you can enjoy if you want to. <laughs> I did watch it a little bit growing yeah, up. Yeah. I've always had a soft spot for the for the series, and, mm. and it makes sense to me that they would bring it back to live action. I mean, just think about, like, especially with visual effects and stuff like that, how far we've come. So I really think mm. that they could add something to this, especially if you set it in modern times also. That should completely change the story and probably re- Refresh it for a younger audience out there. Yeah, I think you could reconfigure this thing in a number of mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. And I think that you could even go like, I mean, this could be the Disney Mission Impossible franchise if they wanted it to be. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, I think there's a, there's a lot of possibility. It seems like they're going in a more comedic route given who they've hired to write it. But yeah, yeah I think there's a like, it's pretty elastic, this concept, you know, the concept. Yeah, and I hear from... You know, people I know that this this is not their only approach to gadget. That there's another approach that they've got coming down the pike that's a little more original, a li- that is messing with the mythology of it, and that probably won't be announced for a while. But that's what I keep hearing 
from certain sources that I have that that's something they're uh, looking to do with Gadget as well. Like so that's completely we'll untied to this? Yes. Like, like the Joker of a, yeah. the Inspector Gadget. Oh, God. <laughs> I oh kind of like the idea <laughs> of, a, of a Joker-ish Inspector like a Gadget, and then we have a kid-friendly yeah. Mission Impossible version. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's Smile. their new uh, shared cinematic universe, yeah. Inspector yeah. Gadget. Uh, given the fact that this is probably like an, likely going to be very family-friendly, where do you think it's best for them to show something like this? Is it being developed for Disney Plus, do you think? Or could we see this on the big screen? I think it's probably developed for Disney Plus. Yeah. 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 I feel like it's impossible to tell for sure anymore. Like, it, who knows? Yeah, I think you're going to... Like, the, the remix of the cla- Disney Plus... Although Lady and the Tramp is a launch title True. for Disney Plus, so that, is, that doesn't even... Hold water, yeah. But I mean, these are the guys that are writing the Home Alone remake for yeah. Disney Plus, right? So that sort of lends itself to. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, does, I does would the world probably need a big, big budget, yeah. big screen. I don't think the, I don't think the public is there for a big screen adaptation. Right. I think Disney Plus makes sense. Well, does does the question then become? Let's say they don't let's say they don't like blow the budget away with this and we do get something that's you know maybe somewhere between 75 and 100. Are they going to make more money showing it on a big screen or are they going to get more subscribers putting it on Disney Plus? Cuz I don't really think that many people out there are going to be like, "Well, you got Inspector Gadget. Now I'm going to sign up." Yeah. But I mean again, you have to look at the Netflix model of just pumping it full of original content. Mm. Not that they don't have a library to do that, but they do need new mm-hmm. sort of incentivized things that you can show your kids or, yeah. you know, I don't know. It'll be interesting. The first the first year of Disney Plus doesn't have a lot of original stuff, so it'll be interesting to see in year two and three what sort of how they flood it or if they kind of what approach they, they take. It's a whole new world now. Well, that's the big knock against Apple is that they're not going to have a lot of like uh, uh, content uh, backloaded onto the channel. They're, they're not going to have they're going to have to come up with original content from the beginning. Right. They're not going to have like Disney has like a crap ton of stuff they can throw up there and then the new stuff as yeah. well. So that's so we'll see how that model works compared to both. Mm-hmm. So, but I think the Disney model makes sense to keep just generating content because what do they tell you when you start a YouTube channel? You have to constantly be doing content. This is no different than a streaming channel. Constantly be doing content so the fans know you've got new things and new decisions and new choices that you can make. And if you're a parent, you don't have to worry about coming back every half hour. If you do an hour uh, and a half uh, Inspector Gadget movie, that's an hour and a half of peace you have when you put the kids in front of the television right. and do your own thing. Right. So it makes sense. Harry, you know, that's what you do with your kids, right? You just set them in front of the... That's what I do with Dewey. Whenever I want him to occupy himself, I just pop in front of the TV (laughs) and he watches cat stuff. Let's get a uh, live chat question in the mix here. Zeno Hour wants to know who should play Inspector Gadget. (laughs) So I'm going to steal one right off the top that I saw circulating the internet when the story broke. I love the idea of Bill Hader playing Inspector Gadget. I just think that is pitch-perfect casting. I can't imagine them announcing somebody else who excites me more than him. I could see them going like slightly like sub Bill Hader and doing like Thomas Middleditch's <laughs> Inspector Gadget, which you know that could be funny too. But I but he is like the bumbling you know clown. As much as I like Thomas Middleditch, I don't know if I would yeah. I would cast yeah. him in this role. Uh, you killed me with Hader. That's just that just makes so much sense. I was trying to go to the box with uh, an African American choice or a Latino choice, but nothing. I mean, Kevin Hart could work, I suppose, if you yeah. want to do a a, 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 a on screen adaptation. Yes, I think Kevin Hart would make sense because he can play bumbling really well. Uh, but I think Hater's the right choice. Jesus, it's just yeah. perfect. <laughs> it's a good choice. I can't argue right, that yeah. choice. For some reason, Bob Odenkirk came to mind too, but uh, I, I I don't now wonder he's too if they're torture, just gonna. You know, that's you know. <laughs> 
I wonder if they're going to skew a little younger with this one. I feel like there was another name what out there, the too. What about the dude from Veep? The tall guy? What's his name? Jonah? Oh, uh, yes. The guy from... He was, wasn't he in The Office, too? The, I, don't, I don't watch Veep. Oh, you, you don't, don't watch Veep? Ve- no, my God, Perry! Huh? Should I? You should absolutely right. watch Veep. I think that's you would love that show. It's your sensibility and what they tackle my on that show. sensibility? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tony Hale from Veep could Tony be a, Hale could could be be a great, great well, choice. Immediately yes. when you said Veep, I actually yeah. did think Tony Hale. Yeah. And I think he would probably He's in the Disney family. He's like got the too. Porky show on yeah. Disney+. Yeah. Plus, so, you know. All right. All right. Yeah. There's some good options out here. <laughs> uh, we're going to switch gears now. We're going to move into all of your live chat questions. we got a whole bunch of stuff here. And i got to start with this one. Uh, Pardis is asking, could Netflix do more animated original films after Klaus? The trailer, Klaus, has me hooked in with the animation. Did you guys like the trailer? And do you think we can get more movies in that style? Uh, in that style, I don't know about in that style because this is some, this is a new kind of like 2D, 3D hybridization look, but, uh, Disney, I mean, uh, Netflix is very, very, uh, you know, committed to animation. They've got this guy, James Baxter, who was a Disney animator for a long time, who most recently worked on the Mary Poppins animated sequence mm. from last year at a studio in uh, Pasadena called Duncan. And he is sort of overseeing all the animation. And, you know, we've got great people like Alex Hirsch, who's over there. And the commitment from Netflix to animation is huge, and you're going to see it, you know. There's a there's a potential Academy Award nominee, and I lost my body. Did it, has anyone seen that yet? I it's have a, not. It's a French film about a disembodied hand that's wandering oh, around I've Paris. Heard of this. Yeah. Yes, oh, and that's supposed to be really wonderful. So yeah, that's on what, Netflix. Yeah, it'll okay. be on Netflix in December. What is okay. the title? Uh, I lost my body. I yeah. lost my body. Yeah, <laughs> I did hear. Did it screen at a festival or something? Yeah, it's been screening. It yeah. was it screened at Cannes where Netflix mm. bought it, and it's you know been playing since. So that'll be out in December. So yeah, big commitment. Was my life as a zucchini? Was that French? Too, the animated I don't film. know where that was from. I, that I can't was, yeah, remember where well. it was from either, but I really, I, I really liked movie. it. Yeah, yeah, I, I loved that, that was, movie. Yeah, I, that I feel like everyone was kind of like rolling their eyes at it because of the title, but I thought it was great. No, it, was <laughs> it was great, yeah. I love this trailer. This is great. Klaus, uh, Klaus, I, I love this because uh, it's an origin story. We talk yeah. about origin stories. An origin story of Santa Claus is, is great, and the way the design is phenomenal. Yeah. The animation design, it is. It feels in the same ballpark as anime. It has that kind of vibe mm-hmm. of anime in terms of the design and the movements and the, the quick uh, 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 gestures from the, the people on screen. So I love it. I think it's a great story. It's a fun story. Uh, the voice cast looks great as well. Uh, so I'm, I'm down with this. It's fantastic. And yeah, animation is making this strong comeback now more and more. Maybe not in the theaters, but certainly uh, on the streaming services. So why not play into that? Yeah. I don't know if it's making a comeback. I feel like you just applied the same descriptor to animation that you often do to horror. Horror is here to stay. Horror's always been here to stay, though. It ebbs and flows. Yeah. It ebbs and flows. Yeah, it's like this I mean. year we got a Toy Story 4, but we also mm. got a Missing Link. I feel like... Uh, oh, well, sure. I love yeah. Toy- you didn't like Toy Story 4? No, no, no. I did like oh, okay. it. I'm, I just mean, like, it was a huge success. It wasn't, like, necessarily animation making a comeback because right. it's like okay. we've got these epic hits in something like a Toy Story 4. But we also have the misses, well, like Missing Link and yeah. even Secret Life of Pets. Yeah, yes. and that's a fair point. Uh, maybe I should clarify that I mean, like, it seems like creators are coming to this medium in larger numbers now to push the boundaries of the genre, which makes it interesting. Like something like you look at that trailer, like I haven't seen something like that ever. And so you're like, OK, where does this go next? And it's interesting. So I like that there are creators. So that, I mean, making a comeback in that way is that it's starting to look like a genre that people want, of people of talent and style want to go and try their hands in, much like horror. 
I'm going to stop that there. (laughs) We do have another Inspector Gadget uh, suggestion in the chat that I really dig. Uh, Paul Rudd. Yeah. Yeah, I think Paul Rudd's a pretty good fit, too. Let's get one more question in before we have to say goodbye from Dan Allen. What other animated series from the 80s would you guys like to see remade? I want a Jetsons, even though it's not a remake. I feel like I can't. Is this a, a live action remake of an 80s I, I don't cartoon? even necessarily know, but like I can't do 80s because I'm a child of the 90s. And I really want. <laughs> what is that? You saw some is things that? We were the... born in different decades. As if you I can't, can't go back you. and watch 80s stuff. Come on, yeah. you go back and watch 80s horror but the whole all the point time. is it's tapping into nostalgia. And my nostalgia is rooted in Nickelodeon 90s shows. And mm. I would love to see something like Our Real Monsters done with stop motion animation. Ooh, that's a good call. That's fair. I'm, I'm pretty confident that call yeah i mean i've been i've been rooting for some kind of darkwing duck reboot and i know that he's been on ducktales and you know he was in the finale it's season two finale but i would love to see a a strong fun uh darkwing remake yeah sold it's tough because once you go past he-man and thundercats like it's like oh gi joe we've already done it transformers already done I don't know, uh, Thunderbirds maybe. Is that was that animated or Silverbirds? One of those. It was, well, it was like it was marionettes. Yes. yes. Well, that's yeah. Thunderbirds, right? Yeah. Whichever one was the one with the bird outfits. I forget what that one was. Something Silverhawk. Silverhawk. I Silver think it was Hawk. Silverhawks, and they had bird outfits and stuff like that. That was anime. It was bad. That was badass. Or Ultraman. Give me Ultraman. I loved Ultraman. Yeah. For you kids in the eighties. I don't know 80s. what either of those are. <laughs> oh I'm a child of the nineties. <laughs> what are you talking about? I feel like we just need like Doug and Rugrats and Rocco. You got a Rocco special. On yeah, Netflix. yeah, that is true. That's that true. is true. Yeah. I feel like the possibilities are endless there, yeah. and we're we're going to see all of this brought Probably. back unless uh, you know all the rights issues we discussed last week stop everything dead in its tracks we're gonna find out we're gonna cover it all on movie talk that is a wrap on this monday edition of the show drew roca thank you so much for waking up bright and early and sitting at this table with me adam in the booth dorian in the live chat thank you so much for your help as always do not forget collider live goes live at 10 a.m so head on over there after you like and share this episode of collider movie talk and we're gonna see you tomorrow morning at 9 a.m pacific for a brand new one Stay little chico, pit bull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I have been fed, that's a fact. I have been fed, that's a fact. My credit card purchases get me cash back. My credit card purchases get me cash back. No one else gets these rewards. Sergeant, that is just plain untrue. What in tarnation? Sir, PenFed's PowerCash Rewards Card isn't just for military members. Anyone can get cash back on all purchases. Ah, figgins! You've ruined my favorite song. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA.